to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. What a great song and what a great God we serve. We are living in probably some of the most tumultuous times ever uh, to be experienced. It seems like everything around us is being shaken. Uh, our political systems, my goodness, how uh, tumultuous. It's like an earthquake is rocking the institutions that we've all uh, come to trust and, and depend upon. And yet in the middle of all of that, whether it's in the political sector or financial sector or healthcare or whatever industry you might want to look at, all of it's being shaken. And yet the book of Hebrews makes this declaration that God is going to shake everything that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken might remain. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And that's exactly what this series is about, a temple. And we're going to continue with this series, Temple, today. And we are talking about seeking the Lord. You know, the scripture says it's time to seek the Lord until he come and rain righteousness on us. Uh, when the writer of Hebrews uh, uh, makes that statement that I referenced earlier, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, uh, think about that for a moment. That in the middle of a, uh, of a time where everything is being rattled and shaken, and maybe you are being rattled and shaken as well. Maybe the turmoil of our world has shaken your soul. I want to tell you something. There is a place in God that can never be shaken. And that's what I want to deal with today. How do we worship God acceptably? How do we pursue that kingdom that can never be shaken? And I want us just to pray right now as we go into this message that the Holy Spirit will use the words that I'm speaking today and bring into the hearts of every single one of you a sense of stability and strength and steadfastness even in the midst of a crazy, crazy season. So let's just pray now. Father, we thank you for the work of your Spirit. We thank you for your eternal Word. And I, I pray right now for every single person who is watching this and listening to this message, that, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you strengthen us that we, Lord, can serve you, worship you acceptably, recognizing that maybe the things around us are being rattled, but we don't have to be rattled. We can build our life on a foundation that's a rock, that's unmovable, a kingdom that can never be shaken. So we thank you now for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, as we continue with this series today, uh, Temple, on seeking after God, I, I want to just... Uh, focus my thoughts today around a passage of Scripture. It's actually in Matthew 6, 33. 
And here's what Jesus said, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, what, what a great passage of Scripture that's so instructive to us today. Uh, in, in other words, uh, when we're in the middle of a crazy set of circumstances, what God's instruction to us, to you and to me, is this, to seek first His kingdom, to go after His kingdom, that kingdom that can never be shaken. And so I want to just uh, encourage you today. Maybe you have been in the middle of a, a season of turmoil yourself personally, maybe in your family, maybe your job, whatever you're walking through. And maybe you're feeling rattled. Maybe your peace seems to have escaped and, and, and evaporated. And you're feeling this sense of, of, of being shaken by the very circumstances around you. Well, let me tell you something. There's a place in God for you and for me that we can live our life and there can be that peace that passes all understanding. Uh, everything around us may be going crazy, but inside us, there is no storm. We're at peace and we're living a life in quiet confidence in God. And that's what God wants for every one of us. That's, what, that's the life that He has for us. And, and so I want to encourage you in this season. We are, we are seeking after God. We are looking to move into God, even at a, a, a deeper level. It's not just something we do the first part of the year. We obviously make it a priority and make an emphasis on it the first part of the year. But we should be doing it every day, all year. Uh, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. In other words, Jesus is saying that if we will pursue His kingdom and we will make it, first of all, our passion, then our priority that God will bring into your life and my life the fulfillment of His promise. That He will give you everything you need. So seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You can't read the New Testament without understanding that even the very core of the gospel was about the kingdom. Jesus wasn't just preaching about a, a gospel that means that when you die, you go to heaven. Now, we thank God that when we die, we go to heaven. But Jesus is talking about a kingdom. What is this kingdom? The kingdom is the rule and the government of God expressed right now. It doesn't just begin when you go to heaven. Obviously, it is a part of that. It encompasses that. But the kingdom of God begins now in your life and in my life. We begin to experience God's kingdom. This is what the Old Testament prophets were actually speaking about and they prophesied. And in fact, John the Baptist even talked about it and he prophetically spoke about the kingdom of God even as Jesus came. It was what Jesus preached and proclaimed again and again, you see in the New Testament. Jesus is preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. It was what Jesus prayed. You remember uh, when he prayed that prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, what? Kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, God wants to bring His kingdom to bear 
in your life and in my life. That's why Jesus said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, His rule, His reign. What is the kingdom of God? Well, what is God like in heaven? Is there any turmoil in heaven? No, there's a quiet confidence in heaven. God's in charge. Let me tell you something. Even though you may feel like God's not in charge of your life right now, God is still in charge. When we submit to His Lordship and His rulership, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth, in my life, in your life, where we are, here in Orlando, here in greater central Florida, wherever, in in our nation, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when Jesus says, seek first His kingdom, He's not talking about something just in the sweet by and by when you die. He's talking about right now. Experiencing the goodness of God's rule in your life, in your family, in your business, in your city, in your church, in everything that pertains to you. And that's really what we're pursuing right now in this season. That's what this series, Temple, is really all about. It's about connecting with God and it's about pressing into God and experiencing the presence and the power of God, the rule of God in our lives individually as we yield ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. So when Jesus said, seek first His kingdom, He's making a contrast. Uh, You need to understand the context in which Jesus is speaking this. When He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He's making a comparison. In fact, in the verses immediately preceding that, Jesus talks about the way the world lives, those who don't put their faith or haven't put their faith in Christ, and the way a believer lives, those who have put their faith in Christ. And he contrasts the two. He says that those that have not are pursuing all kinds of things in the natural. They're they're pursuing the temporal things. He says they go after food and they go after clothing and they go after houses and they go after all of the temporal things. He says that's the way the pagans live. But he said you're not that way. You're not going after the temporal. You see that's why God's calling us to something greater. God is not calling us to be a pursuer of the temporal. God is calling us to be a pursuer of the eternal. And when you pursue the eternal, the promise is that all the temporal will be added to you as well. That's what Jesus is is saying. In other words, God's not saying that the temporal is bad or that you don't need the temporal. God is saying, you just need to make your priority to pursue the eternal. And when you pursue the eternal, the temporal will get added to you. So seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things, all the temporal things will be added to you. And so I want to emphasize today in these few minutes that we have together and drill down on that first word that Jesus uh, uh, speaks when he says, but seek, but seek, but seek, pursue. Uh, Jesus is, is there and so he's contrasting the two and he, he says, seek first. Well, seeking is an interesting word because First of all, seeking carries with it some very practical implications. It first of all implies that something is either lost or hidden. If I'm seeking after something, that's something I obviously don't yet possess 
or maybe have not possessed in its fullness. I'm looking for something. I'm going after something. And so it, it implies by its very nature that something is either lost or hidden. And so Jesus is saying, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Well, we know that God is not lost. So if God is not lost, He must be hidden. We are seeking, truthfully, we are seeking after a God who is not a God who is in your face. This is one of the most beautiful things about God. Here, here's the way God made you and the way He made me. He made us with a free will. And yet, with that free will, there comes uh, consequences of choice. And so, you see, you can choose what you will do, but you can't choose the consequences that what you do bring to bear. And so Jesus says, He gives you a choice. He's calling you, calling me to something higher when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I, I don't know where you are today and what you're walking through, but my, I, I want to challenge you with this thought that if you will pursue God and you will pursue his kingdom and his righteousness first in your life, God has promised that all of the other things that you need and the things that you desire will get added to your life. That's really what the Old Testament says when in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you will hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God and seek to observe to do according to all He has commanded, that the Lord will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. These are promises to Old Testament Israel, but are good for you and I today as children of the covenant. Because if you belong to Christ, the Bible says according to Galatians, you are Abraham's seed and heirs also according to the promise. So the Old, the Old Testament promises that were for Old Testament Israel are the same for you and me today who belong to Christ. And so he's saying he in Deuteronomy 28 that those blessings will come on you and overtake you. Really, that's the Old Testament expression of this New Testament promise that Jesus is reiterating. That if you'll seek first His kingdom, all these other things will be added. So the first thing I want you to see is this, that the kingdom of God, the purposes of God that we seek after, that you seek after, are hidden from us. Since we, we, we know that it's hidden, we know we are to go after it. This is why Jesus taught in parables. Because Jesus was not going to force God's will on us. He just simply gives you and me the opportunity. So when, he, when, when Jesus instructs us to seek after it, He's saying by its very implication that this, this kingdom has been hidden from us. Jesus teaches in parables and his disciples ask him, why are you teaching in these parables? And he said, for you it is to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but it's hidden for those who really don't care. In other words, what God is really saying is he wants us to want him. He wants us to pursue him. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about because the truth of the matter is the picture of marriage is the picture of Christ in his church. And if you're married, you want your spouse to want you. You want your spouse. Ladies, you want your spouse to pursue you, your husband to pursue you. And you want him to desire you. Well, God is the same way with us. God loves us so much. And God doesn't, doesn't force his will or his 
uh, desires on us. God simply sets up the circumstances that woo us into a relationship with Him. That stir our hearts to cause us to want to pursue Him. And that's really why the kingdom of God is hidden. It's not in your face. It's not something that's forced upon you. But because God gives us a free will, He wants us to use that free will to pursue Him. So it's hidden from us. But as it's hidden, God promises that if we will pursue it, we will receive it. Listen to what Psalm 107 verse 9 says. For He satisfies, now listen to the terminology. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Thirst, hunger, two very intense words that are descriptive of the desire that you and I should have for the things of God. Have you ever been really thirsty? Have you ever been really hungry? Listen, if you're thirsty, there's nothing quite like a cool glass of water. If you're hungry, there's nothing quite like a satisfying meal. And God is exactly that way. And what God does is God sets up the circumstances to create the thirst and to create the hunger. But you and I have the responsibility to go after it. To go after it. You say, well, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. Well, let me tell you something. God knows exactly how to bring you into a place where you can be hungry. Uh, I, I, I know many times I, I've driven up into uh, places and I, I can't help but think about this story. You're driving up into a mall one day, a mall parking lot. That was back when we used to actually go to malls. We don't do much of that now, uh, particularly in a COVID environment. But I remember going up into a mall parking lot and my mind was not on food at all. In fact, I was going in there to, to purchase something totally different. But I remember as I drove up into the mall parking lot, I smelled this phenomenal aroma. It was Cinnabon. And it was something like it just came all over me. I wasn't hungry. Wasn't even thinking about a cinnamon roll. Until the aroma of Cinnabon hit my nostrils and suddenly I could think of nothing else but Cinnabon. You see, God is that same way. God is that same way. He's not forcing anything on you. Nobody forced me to go up to the counter at Cinnabon that day and buy a Cinnabon. But I will tell you something. Once the aroma of that came to me, I could not help myself. I wanted to go. And that's the way God is in our seeking after Him. You see, God gives us glimpses of His goodness. That's why the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, you start getting glimpses of God's goodness, of God's favor, of God's love. And what does it do? It makes you hungry for more. It makes you thirsty for more. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be or shall be filled. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. You see, God doesn't create an appetite for something that He doesn't satisfy. God stirs us. That's why it's important that you seek the Lord. 
You see, as you begin to pursue the Lord, as you begin to seek the Lord, the Lord gives you glimpses of His goodness and God increases your appetite and you are pursuing something. Yes, His kingdom is hidden, but God begins to make it manifest as He begins to minister that to you that your soul longs for and looks for. And the more you find of God, the more you desire. What Jesus is really doing here, he's describing a quality of life. A quality of life that, that, that is consumed by discovering a God who is not obvious. That's the way God wants you to live. You see, when we're, we're seeking after God, this is not just something we do the first part of the year. This is something that should be a daily pursuit of you and me. That this is our lifestyle. A lifestyle of pursuing a God who is not obvious. God is not forcing Himself on us, but God is wooing us to a place where we can have an experience with Him. Where we can have relationship with Him. And He fills our heart and satisfies our soul with the things we truly long for those eternal things, and as He fills our soul with the things we long for, the eternal things, He promises as well to make sure that our life has the temporal things that we need to sustain life. Oh, what an incredible, incredible promise. And the fact is, God is not pushing it. God is not forcing it. He's simply giving us the opportunity. That's why A.W. Tozer said this, we can have as much of God as we actually want. You want to measure your spiritual life? Well, how much seeking do you do after God? How hungry are you for God? How thirsty are you for God? So the first thing I want you to see by implication when Jesus says seek first His kingdom is that the kingdom is hidden. It's hidden. The second thing I want you to see by implication is this that that which we seek is valuable to us, is valuable to us. In other words, you and I pursue or seek after that which is valuable. Why? Because there's sacrifice involved. Anytime you seek God, there's some sacrifice involved. Some of you may be fasting meals. Some of you are giving up time that you would normally spend for yourself or some other uh, activity, and yet you're doing it to drill down on your spiritual need for God. And, and there's sacrifice involved. And we need to understand this, that when you are pursuing and seeking after God and sacrificing, it's because you value it. In other words, you will sacrifice to the same degree that you value something. I remember, and maybe some of you are parents, most of you are listening to them, are parents and know what it is to love your children. And uh, Sandy and I, of course, raising four boys, we had many opportunities to be challenged with our boys' behavior. And I remember uh, on one occasion, uh, we were living in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, and we went out to a massive military display. Our boys were all little. Jordan, Justin, Joel, and Jarrett was a little guy. And, and I, I remember at this massive military display, uh, there were thousands of people, and it was right down on the riverfront in Norfolk, Virginia. And Jordan, he might have been, oh, I don't know, eight or ten years old. Uh, Justin, a couple of years behind him, younger. 
and uh, then there was Joel, and uh, everywhere, of course, that the older brothers went, the younger brothers wanted to go. And I remember that particular day, we were probably three or 400 yards from the riverfront, and the boys wanted to walk down, Jordan and Justin wanted to walk down to the riverfront to watch them rappelling out of a helicopter. And Joel wanted to go, and Joel was a little guy. And I warned and I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do, Jordan and Justin, y'all can go, and you, but you take Joel with you and do not let him out of your sight. Do not let him out of your sight. And so they took him, they went off. Oh, probably 20 minutes later, after the repelling event was over, they came walking back up. And I remember seeing Jordan come up. Then I saw Justin, but I didn't see Joel. And I said, where is your brother? Both of them looked at us and shrugged their shoulders. I don't know. He was with us a minute ago. And they had lost their brother. They had lost their little brother, Joel, among thousands of people. Sandy and I panicked. We were like, what do we do now? And we began to pursue finding him. We began to look for him. We looked everywhere, high and low. We could not find him. Of course, as a parent, whenever those kinds of moments happen, you think every bad thought, every article of, you know, child abduction sweeps through your mind. It's like newspaper articles are flashing in front of your eyes and stories you read on social media or seen on television. And every kind of imagination was going through our mind. And we, the longer we looked, the more worried we became because we could not locate him. We were asking policemen. We were asking various people. Half hour went by. We still had not located him. And he was a little guy. He may have been three or four years old. I don't know what we were thinking, that we would let them go with their older brothers, but we did. And we kept looking and kept looking. Finally, we talked to one policeman, and he said, what does he look like? And he contacted the headquarters, and he said, we've got him. He's sitting in a tent right now eating ice cream. Oh, I was so relieved. We made our way over there, and sure enough, there he was, sitting there eating an ice cream cone, calm, quiet, everything was fine. But what was our attitude? Was our attitude that day, well, we came to this event with four kids, and, you know, guess we're going to leave with three. Guess, well, just, you know, c'est la vie, such is life. You know, you win a few, you lose a few. Was that our attitude? No. That wasn't our attitude at all. Why? Because we valued our children. And it didn't matter what kind of sacrifice, it didn't matter what kind of time, it didn't matter what kind of energy it took, we were going to find him. You see, that's the way God wants you to, li to live your life. That, that, that you pursue him, that you go after him. This is why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, makes very clear that when we seek after God, we seek after Him with faith. We pursue Him with faith. And if we pursue Him with faith, we will find Him. What is the reward? What was the reward that day for seeking after Joel? The reward for seeking after Joel was finding Joel. What is the reward for seeking after God? The reward for seeking after God is finding God. You see... God makes Himself available to you and to me. And as He stirs our heart to pursue Him, and we respond and pursue Him, the reward 
for that pursuit is finding Him. This is why Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Now, oftentimes we quote Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to do you good, to give you a hope in the future. That's something that's a common verse. We've quoted many times. But oftentimes we don't quote verse 13. But verse 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. In other words, God sets up the circumstance. God sets up the opportunity for you and I to seek Him. He will increase at times our need for Him. Do you realize that when you face crisis moments in your life, and all of us do, that those crisis moments are really opportunities for you to pursue God and seek God so that you can find God? God allows sometimes moments of crisis to come into our life. And have you ever noticed how when those crisis moments come, you have an increased need for God? Well, that increased need for God creates the appetite. It creates the motivation. And then the reward is finding God. The reward is receiving what God wants for us. So, the kingdom of God is hidden by implication. And that which we seek is valuable by implication. But the third implication here is that that which we seek is findable. <laughs> that which we seek is findable. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. God will never move you or me to seek Him if finding Him is not an option. In other words, God doesn't send you and I on wild goose chases. He doesn't send us on a pursuit that has no ultimate satisfaction at the end. When He says to seek after Him and to seek after His kingdom, it's because He's findable. You can receive Him. You can find Him. That's why Proverbs 8.18 says this, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. You see, that's what God is doing. That's what God is wanting to do right now in this season. God is wanting to ignite the fire, ignite the passion for pursuing Him. Maybe at a deeper level than you've ever sought after God before. So practically, how do I apply that? Well, let me just give you three principles in pursuing God. And I believe it's connected to what the writer of Hebrews said, let us worship God acceptably. What does acceptable worship look like? I believe it's directly connected to now. Matthew 6, 33, as you seek God, that's acceptable worship. Having a heart after God is acceptable worship. And that looks like something. So practically speaking, how do I do it? Number one, look daily for the place of intimacy with the Lord. Look daily for the place of intimacy with the Lord. I love the Lord, but my love for the Lord needs to have an expression I need to move into a place of connection and intimacy. And I can't let a day go by without doing that. Sandy and I, when we get up in the morning, 
when we have our coffee, we're not just talking about the events of the day. Our starting point is this, that first, seek first. In other words, before we do anything else, first, we're going to go after God. So we spend time in His Word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time waiting on God that His presence would fill us. And I want to encourage you in that. You see, if you will look for that place of intimacy, of heart to heart, it's what theologians in Latin refer to as corum Deo. It is face to face. It, it, it literally means to live in the presence of God, submitted to the authority of God, all for the glory of God. You see, that's what God is calling us to. The place of intimacy is not just a place of navel-gazing. The place of intimacy is to examine one's life in light of the presence of God and the authority of God to the glory of God. That's what God wants for you, wants for me. It is face-to-face. It is deep, calling out unto deep. It is my heart crying out unto God. This was what was seen in the life of Moses. In Moses, his whole life was consumed with this relationship with God. It was radically different, radically different for the children of Israel. They were distant from God, but Moses was close to God. In Exodus 33, 11, it said the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to his friend. Obviously, in that place of intimacy, you begin to understand God. You begin to get to know God. You don't just know about God. You see, a lot of people in the church today know about God. They have an intellectual approach to God. It's one thing, I can go to an art museum and admire a beautiful painting on the wall, and that's a magnificent thing. But that's not an introduction to the artist. I'm only seeing the works of the artist. I can listen to a magnificent symphony. But it's totally different than knowing the composer. You see, what God wants you to do is to take you past simply the works of God so that you know God, so that you have an an intimate acquaintance with God. That's what Moses did. Out of this place of face-to-face encounter with God, this place of intimacy, he got to know God in an intimate way. He knew the why behind the what. So Psalm 107 verse, or 103 verse 7 says this, that God, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel or the children of Israel. The ways of God versus the Deeds of God are the acts of God. You see, a lot of people know about the acts of God or the deeds of God. You don't have to have a relationship to know about the deeds of God. You can see that and appreciate it. But God wants you and I to know more than just His deeds, His miracles, His breakthrough moments. Thank God for those things. God wants you to have a relationship, a place where you understand His ways. You understand the way God works. That comes from relationship, from intimacy. That place where you've leaned in to know God. 
whole. Yeah, you see his ways, but uh, his works. Thank God for that. But you know his ways. And it's more important to know the ways of God than it is even to see the acts of God or the deeds of God. So, first of all, look daily for the place of intimacy. Look daily for that place. The second thing I want to encourage you with is this by way of application. Respond quickly to the Holy Spirit's conviction and prompting. One of the things that happens in all of our lives as we pursue God in this place of intimacy with God, when you come into the place of relationship with God, you suddenly find yourself confronted with your own human weakness. When you see God, you not only see God, but you see yourself. This is why Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible describes this incredible encounter. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. His first encounter was an encounter with the, with the Lord. You can read about it in Isaiah 6. And he says, when I saw him, I saw this amazing thing. I, I saw uh, uh, this, this place filled with seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they covered their face. And with two, they were flying. They were crying out unto one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. It says the, the doorpost shook at the voice of Him who spoke. And the whole house was filled with smoke or the Shekinah, the manifest presence of God. But it didn't stop there. You see, when you see God, something else happens. You see yourself. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, if you and I are going to pursue God, there's a natural manifestation of God's righteousness or holiness that starts being pursued. This is why Jesus says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. When you see God and encounter God, you see yourself. As long as you and I, most of us look at ourselves and we say, well, we think we're doing okay. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves with others. But when you start comparing yourself with God, it's another matter totally. You see just how far away from God we really are. You see what the real standard is, is not comparing ourselves with others, but the real standard is comparing ourselves to God. And that's what God wants. God is calling us to that. And so as soon as we see God, we start understanding ourselves, and we understand our desperate need for God to change us. And so we cry out, God, I got a problem. Like Isaiah, he said he had a problem. He was a man of unclean lips, he said. I don't know what his language was like, but evidently he thought it was unclean when he saw God. We start seeing ourselves, and we start seeing our frailties and our weaknesses and our shortcomings. And when we do, we ask God, God, forgive me. I ask you, I repent of that. I turn away from that. So we respond quickly to the Holy Spirit's conviction and prompting. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, Paul says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Those are very practical applications in behavior. You see, when you start looking at God, you start looking at yourself. You see how weak you are, how desperately needful you are for God to change you. And the Bible says this, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. God wants to bring you into conformity with His very nature. And that happens as you behold Him. The third practical application of this is allow the Word of God to be the governor of your actions and your attitude. Probably the scariest verse of Scripture in the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, it's not about just words. There has to be a corresponding action. It's not just about a, a mouth that says, I'm following God, but there has to be a heart that's submitted and yielded to God. You see, during this time of seeking after God, really what we're doing is we're calling for everyone to come to a place of deeper yieldedness and surrender to Christ, to the will of God. So when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that gets down to where the rubber meets the road. If you want to enter into the kingdom, if you want to enter into the fullness of what God has promised for you and for me, there has to come a yes of the Holy Spirit in our heart to the will of God and then a submission to God. I want to challenge you as I come to a close in this message today. Listen, Jesus is saying, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added. God wants to bring us into a place of profound blessing, but not just blessing in the temporal, blessing of the eternal. And that's what we're pursuing. Allow me to pray with you right now. Father, I thank you for every single person who has listened today to this message. And I ask that by your Spirit, that you would grab our hearts, make us hungry, make us thirsty, make us to be a pursuer after your presence and your power. May every one of us truly live in a place of Coram Deo, in your presence, under your authority, all for your glory. We pray this now in Jesus' name and give you thanks, Lord, for it. Amen and amen. I want to thank you today for listening to this message, for being a pursuer after God. And let's together seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be added unto us. God bless you. Have an amazing day.